to Fruit Loops episode 13, and thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes uh, committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the lives and fascinating crimes of serial killers and uh, true crime committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. And I wanted to interject here because we've got like 11 episodes by the time this one airs or, well, yeah, by the time we're recording this, we have about 11 episodes out. And people might be wondering like, how dare she? How could she call the news racist? <laughs> it's a hot take, I know, but um, and and I know that for white people, being called racist is like the worst thing you can say to them, and they get really uncomfortable and defensive at the suggestion that um, they are racist. Um, that's called white fragility. Look it up, um, because again, it's not an, it's not enough to be racist. To just be not racist, you have to be anti-racist. But more on that later. So I've been a person of a female person of color for over 30 years and I've had to deal with both racism and sexism every single day. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah. <woo-hoo. laughs> it's just been the greatest. Um, that makes me an expert on both of those things. And um you know, I, I don't get to like clock out of being a, a woman or being a person of color. Um, and um, so I calls them as I sees them and uh, representation has certainly improved over time. But the news, the media, the government, any of our under any of our other glorious American institutions can always do better. So that is true. And uh, we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We are not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. That's right. Yep. (laughs) Some of the things that we discuss on this podcast may be triggering and or disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. And sometimes we use profanity. Listener discretion is advised. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com and enter at your own risk. That's right. So today we are going to be talking about Kimberly LaGale McCarthy, a woman who murdered elderly women for financial gain. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you, Beth? What's new? I'm good. I just got back uh, from vacation. I spent a week in North Dakota, of all places, to visit Mm. (laughs) my daughter, uh, her husband, and my grandson. I was so happy to see him. (laughs) How was it? How was your trip? It was great. Um, Well, my my grandson is four, and they (laughs) moved up there. Gosh, it had to have been like maybe four months ago, not that long ago. And he's already like changing and growing. It's just, uh, I have oh to, gosh. yeah, I have to see him like every four months or something. <laughs> I don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> so when's your next trip? Well, she's coming down here in January. So oh, I'll okay. see her in, right in January. 
And um, so while I was there, um, they live in an apartment and the Mm -hmm. apartment building next to hers caught on fire. I saw that on your timeline. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Did anybody die? Was everybody okay? No, everybody was okay. So that's good. (laughs) Um, The dog was barking. Their dog was barking. Uh And um, it woke me up. And I I was thinking I heard sirens, but I wasn't sure. Because you know how when you wake up, you're like, did I dream that? Was it really happening? Wasn't it? And so I, I looked out the window to see if I could see anything which I don't know what I was expecting to see because the window looked out on the uh, on another apartment building not out on the street so mm-hmm. um I didn't know what I was expecting to see but I looked out and I saw um the reflection of the flames on the building mm. across the way and mm-hmm. so I went out and uh got my daughter I was like uh I think there's a fire. And she's like, what? (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) So we went outside and looked, and it was the building uh, next to hers on the left, not across the way, but the flames are being reflected off of that building. And it is the biggest fire I've ever seen close up. And we were afraid. uh, It was so big, we were afraid that her building was going to catch on fire. So... uh, no, it didn't, thankfully. Okay, but we packed yeah. up a bunch of stuff uh, just in case. Like We made sure she got all her photographs. And um, I got my grandson's favorite toys. That was my... <laughs> oh. oh, my <laughs> God. That's get... the last thing you want to have happen on vacation is <laughs> <Yeah>. a fire. <laughs> wow. So, wow. yeah, we packed up a bunch of stuff and we were ready to get out of there but uh they got it under control so it was okay oh good but the good. people nobody died and mm-hmm. everybody nobody was even injured so that was good mm-hmm. um good. the fire alarms were going off into the next day like because you know how your fire alarm has battery in it yeah yeah so they were like throughout the next day you could hear the just beep, the beep, yep beep. yep <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. That's why we, yeah, but it saves lives. But however, it oh does yeah, save lives, so. <laughs> yes, it definitely saves lives. So good, good. Well, I'm glad you're okay. What a like crazy ordeal. Yeah, it was crazy. I'm glad I was there because she was. My daughter was freaking out, and oh. so I was able to uh, be there for her. Good. So good. Yeah, that's wow. Oh my gosh. Well, when we read your autobiography, this story better be in there. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, So I was going to talk about how much I love tennis because uh, Serena Williams um, and uh, Naomi Okasaki um, won. Um, Uh However, uh, I don't want to talk about that. I took my son fishing this morning. (laughs) Where'd you take him? Just to the canal. I mean, I I have no business fishing. First of all, I don't have a license and I don't know how to fish. I just Wikipedia <laughs> how to fish and my son's been like begging me to take him. Aww. So we went to the canal this morning. He, we woke up really early and we don't have any like real bait, but I saw on the internet that you can use cheese. So I used <laughs> cheese and uh, the cheese would stay on the hook <laughs> and like I didn't want... 
I didn't want like the authorities to come and like see me with a pole because I don't have a license. And the fine is like 300 bucks or something like that. Oh, wow. And they take your pole away. So, but kids don't need And that's license. the worst so part. He, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so he was like casting the line. And again, I have no, we have no business doing this, but uh, I, he, he cast his line and the hook got stuck on his shorts. Like I thought it grabbed his nuts. Oh, no. And oh, so no. I was like, I was oh, like God. freaking out. <laughs> and then we couldn't get the we, it didn't it didn't like touch his skin but it was stuck in his shorts <laughs> so he had to take his shorts off and I'm like trying to uh get the hook out and I couldn't and then like other like professional fishers were like what's going on <laughs> over there and like what's came, happening some guy came over to help and I'm like uh-huh. hungover I probably still smell like whiskey the next day and uh <laughs> they come over they come over and like uh you know, he's like, I got pliers. And he like, my son's sitting on the ground in his underwear. And this guy's like helping us get the hook out of his shorts. And I was like, you know what? Maybe we should leave and come back another time. Another day. Yeah. (laughs) Another day. So, um, it was, was very, it was, it's really funny now, but I was so, so afraid that like I'd have to take my son to the ER to get a hook removed from his testicles. Oh God, that would be horrible. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway um uh fishing uh what an adventure now i understand why people do it so much <laughs> did he have so, fun uh, yeah. yeah he cool. had a lot of fun and he's just been begging us to take him Aww. so we got him a pool <laughs> and we're trying to do this more often hopefully next time well, it will cool. be better <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i've uh, never <laughs> been very good at fishing I don't know what oh. I do wrong, but yeah, I never catch I've anything. I've never <laughs> ever caught anything. I've never caught anything. But like never? The, the dude who's helping us, no, no. I mean, the dude who was helping us was like, yeah, I caught, he's like, I, I caught th- about three this morning. And I was like, what? And then he goes, yeah, but the bite time passed 30 minutes ago. And I was oh. like, uh, come again? what, what is bite time mean he goes oh that's when the fish bite They're and then biting. eventually they yeah. stop something i didn't know so yeah i i, I guess <laughs> you have to fish a lot to know when those times are i guess i guess I so guess. so maybe maybe know. someday we'll we'll get really good at this activity but it was yeah. it was fun for the time cool. so cool. um moving along um this is the part of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies so, um, I found a new podcast and it's called, what did you do? <laughs> um, and would you believe it? There is another true crime podcast about people of color and the All hosts right. are Char- yeah, Charnel and D. They are so fun, insightful, and adding more diverse voices to the true crime landscape. And someone in our Facebook discussion group recommended it. Uh, it after I posted a story um, piece that Good Morning America did about um, true crime and women and how women are really into true crime podcasts. Basically, there are like 500,000 true crime podcasts. Wow. And uh, I so, had no idea there were that li- many. I did not either. I mean, I don't know how we would even know that, but um, it's Good Morning America. It's a reputable source. So um, thanks to listening to this one, by the way, because there's obviously a, a gazillion that you a can lot. choose from. But <laughs> 
And most of the fans are women. Uh, but I noticed something very interesting about this news piece. Not hmm. one woman of color was included in it. Hello, wow. we're out here. <laughs> so I shared the story and solicited, um, uh, I made a request on on our uh, Facebook discussion group, um, look, basically asking our friends um, to recommend any additional um, true crime shows about people of color. And uh, our Facebook discussion friends came through. Um, I listened to the first episode and one of their most recent episode. Um, and the first episode was about uh, Michelle Blair, and she was a mother of four who killed two of her kids, and then she put them in the freezer. Oh um, my God. And yeah, uh, and then um, the one of their latest episodes was about Daniel Drayton, and, and we um, referenced Daniel Drayton as the Tinder serial killer on um, right. one of our um, episodes about uh, true crime news. So yeah. check that show out; it's pretty, it's pretty dope. So. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> um, any uh, serial killer or true crime news? Yeah, I had a, an update, um, kind of a sad update, on a story that we reported on a few weeks ago about uh, Kira Bergman, who mm -hmm. was missing at the time, a 19-year-old. Um, and unfortunately, her body was found on mm. Monday, September 3rd, in a desert area near State Route 85 in Buckeye. It wasn't clear how long her body had been there or how she died. Kara was last seen at her home near 51st Avenue and Thunderbird Road on August 4th. So where she fa was found in Buckeye is about 40 miles away from where she lived. Whoa! Yeah. Kiara never returned home after leaving uh, the home and had not been seen or heard from since. Phoenix mm -hmm. police arrested Bergman's boyfriend, John Christopher Clark, but not for her disappearance. While interviewing him about Kiara's disappearance, they searched his car and found several stolen IDs. And he was charged with 22 counts of aggravated felony theft and two counts of forgery. Kiera had recently moved from California to Glendale, Arizona, to be with Clark. Uh, hmm. Police had not released any details, saying only that it's an active homicide investigation. But on September 11th, police submitted a probable cause statement to the court detailing why Clark should be charged with first-degree murder, improper removal of a body, and evidence tampering in Bergman's death. Oh, boy. So, at the time of this recording, which is on September 11th, police have not said why they suspect Clark. Um, they submitted a probable cause statement, uh, as I said, and recommended that he be charged, but uh, apparently that that's what they do before they actually charge a suspect. So he hasn't oh. actually been charged yet, but they've recommended that he be charged. And hopefully okay. we'll get more information about that soon, the details about why they yeah, think definitely. he should be charged. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for updating us on that. Sure. Um, yeah. I just got you know how you're always like, today. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know later if I hear anything. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> actually delivering. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, thank you. Sure. 
Um, so my bit of news is uh, on the Dallas Police Department. And if you don't know, I'm about to tell you. Uh, Dallas Police finally charged Amber Geiger with manslaughter. She is a white female police officer who allegedly shot and killed a man after entering an apartment she mistakenly thought was her own. She was on the wrong floor. That is crazy. Uh, She was finished with a shift, so she was fully dressed in police uniform. Um, Witnesses say they heard her asking uh, Jean and the, oh boy, the gentleman's name is Botham Shen Jean. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, to let her in. Her key wasn't working because she was in the wrong fucking apartment. So when the resident, (laughs) that's right. When the resident let her in, the 26 year old black male opened the door to see why a cop was there. And she shot him twice in the chest. Now black Twitter and black Facebook have gone in on this issue. Um, There have been a lot of things reported about the story, but they are not all accurate. I think basically the whole internet went nuts, at least from in my feed, my timeline was going nuts. Um, One rumor was that uh, Jean and Geiger knew each other. And there was a photo going around that was thought to be showing um, the two of them, you know, uh, like they were friendly standing together yeah yeah, i saw that one too yeah yeah and uh turns out that has been it's confirmed that the woman in the photo is not geiger now i did it doesn't even look like her (laughs) i know at first see you know like shame on us not all white people look alike so that was (laughs) that was (laughs) but uh the police officer i think she's blonde and the girl uh, in the photo was a brunette. Yeah, in the mugshot, I do. I did see some grown out um, highlights. So and um, yeah, and then she also looked pretty thin. And the the girl in the photo, um, she wasn't a big girl, but she wasn't like really thin. Yeah, yeah. See, the internet plays tricks with our mind, especially Facebook. So, so you have to you have to sort of wait before you like immediately respond to a wild ass news story or like check another source um so (laughs) (laughs) just google it see if there's cnn or washington post has something um so uh i did also see a photo with her standing next to a person um and uh this old older woman was wearing an all lives matter shirt which is very problematic and racist but um that doesn't make geiger herself racist she only appears racist adjacent uh the other inaccurate report was that she was standing next to somebody in a photo who was holding up what the internet first thought was a white supremacy hand signal it is really an a-ok sign but some (laughs) internet trolls turned it into a white supremacy sign or they scammed us so Uh, To describe it, the three extended fingers are supposed to represent the W, and the rounded thumb and pointed finger um, together are supposed to represent a P. And the trolls put this out there to bait liberals and drive them crazy, and it worked. And the symbol was recently in the news due to those Brett Kavanaugh hearings where his former clerk was sitting behind him and seemed to be making this bullshit sign. She was not. Um, Her husband actually put out a statement saying, look, 
She wasn't making any white supremacist anything. That is not her. She was actually born in Mexico. She has a Jewish parent. Um, she has family members who are Holocaust survivors. And there's just no way that she would al- align herself with any white supremacist. Like Nazi power. Anything. Yeah. 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 Um, so what was, I was going to ask you, what was the, the organization the or whatever, website? the, the, yeah. the, tro- the troll a farm. Website. Yeah. yeah, the troll farm. <laughs> There's a website <laughs> called 4chan and, uh, uh-huh. yeah, a lot of trolls gather there and I don't, I don't really frequent that site, so I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do know that they, there are a lot of trolls on there and they plan things on there. And, um, we, we were looking at a a website today, Wendy and I were looking at a website and, uh, Mm -hmm. they had screenshots of how these guys, uh, were planning this, uh, like turning the okay symbol into, uh, a white supremacist symbol, uh, just to drive liberals nuts. Like, um, yeah, yeah, trolling, trolling liberals, basically uh, trying mm-hmm. to make them think that it was a white supremacist symbol. Uh, so every time they saw it, then they would go nuts. And they, it, I'm triggered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, what is also problematic about that is that I think some white supremacists have also uh, jumped on it. So they are some of them maybe using it. I don't know now. Yeah, they, they I think, might be I think using that it's it sort now. of taken on a mind of its own, and they, yeah, that's that's sort of my interpretation. It's kind of like that. I think the Pepe Pepe the Frog was harmless at first, right. but then all of a sudden, you know, somebody caught wind. White, white, you know, not white people, but like liberals, um, got a little got a little up in arms, and then I, the white supremacists just like rolled with it, and there's like this tsunami of Pepe racist nonsense out in the zeitgeist. So yeah, it's um, kind of crazy. So how, that's kinda, how that happens. Yeah, yeah. Pizzagate, that's another good example. Yeah. So um, so to, back to the news, um, I'm hopeful that this officer who was clearly not in her right frame of, ri- of mind, um, perhaps due to intoxication, is brought to justice. The Dallas Police Department, who is run by a black lady, amen, is trying to be <laughs> as transparent about this as possible. <laughs> if I had it, my hip hop air horn, I would, would make it go off. Um, so that's good news. Hopefully justice is served. And also, let's try not to get trolled and be a little bit yeah. more responsible yeah, with when... the information we consume and form opinions about. I admit that I fell for it at first. <laughs> yeah. But I took a closer look. I talked amongst myself and with Beth. And, uh, you know, and we, we did a don't little just Googling. rely yeah. on Facebook for your news. We did yeah. a little Googling. So there you go. Yeah. Have so, yeah, the, the picture... I was I was fooled by that as well. So <laughs> until I, I yeah. did some Well, I'm glad so. we got to the bottom of it because maybe yeah. there are other people listening who are like, oh, that Brett Kavanaugh or, yeah. know, ah, case is a cookie. <laughs> so, you know, and like freaking out. Your little mind starts going crazy, but you don't have to. Yeah, so. Google it. <laughs> Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. 
We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. So, um, <laughs> all right. So, uh, let's get into it. Let's yeah. It. So, our subject... Today is Kimberly LaGale McCarthy, oh. and here are the, the stats. stats. Okay, Kimberly LaGale McCarthy uh, is re- responsible for the killings of what they said one to three people because she was convicted of one and linked to two more um, elderly women's murders um, with DNA. And um, I thought all of them were white, but they are, they were not. Uh, I think one was yeah, black. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I found some pictures on a website. Uh, the only one I found with pictures of the, all of the victims, most of them had pictures of one, the one victim that she was convicted of killing. Oh, interesting. Uh, but not the other two. Okay. Yeah, so I found one website with pictures of all three of them. Uh-huh. And two of them, if those pictures are accurate, uh-huh. then two of them were white and one of them was black. Okay, okay. Shout out to diversity. <laughs> um, her victims were <laughs> Maggie Harding, age 81, Jetty Lucas, age 85, and Dorothy Booth, 71, was her next door neighbor. Um, her M.O. was stabbing and bludgeoning to death. Um, the murders occurred in Dallas, Texas. And interestingly... Back in Texas. Hey, don't mess with Texas. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Texas, you know, W, H, George W, he, uh, there's yeah, a f- funny speech where he was like, we have this old saying in Texas, probably in Tennessee. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, yeah. fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> fool, fool me, you can't get fooled again. Fool me twice, <laughs> don't get fooled again. Yeah, I remember what? that one. That was so funny. So anyway, that's what I think of when I think uh, of Texas. Yeah, he, uh, he rivals Gerald Ford in uh, uh, just ridiculousness. <laughs> You were probably not old enough to remember, but Saturday Night Live had a heyday with Gerald Ford because he was like super clumsy. Oh, really? Oh, no. Yeah, I, he was I, always like. 
falling down and bumping into things. Oh, oh my God. They well, had a heyday with him. <laughs> they have a heyday with every every sitting president, don't they? Every, true, everybody. true. I can't wait till it comes back. I really need to laugh. <laughs> um, so um, interestingly, she was the 500th execution in Texas since 1982. Also, I thought it was interesting, an interesting stat in Texas Way to go, Texas. Since 1976, when the Supreme <laughs> Court allowed capital punishment to resume, Texas had carried out 40%, almost half, of the 1,300 executions throughout the U.S. Way to go, Texas. You will be getting the hip-hop air horn. <laughs> and um, also, Texas, thank you very much for Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're going to get into the timeline now. Uh, or no. Oh, I guess her. we're getting into her early life. Yeah. Yes. Something. I don't know. Some, we're doing something. We're telling some story about somebody. <laughs> I don't know. Kimberly Legale McCarthy uh, is a black female born on May 11th, which is my mother's birthday, actually. <gasps> wow. Oh, interesting. Weird, huh? Yeah. I guess I guess somebody's got to have that birthday, too. <laughs> okay, so now your mom and Kimberly are the only two. Nobody else can be born. Nobody else day. can have May 11th. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 1961. Uh, my mom was 1933, so Whoa. a little different. Wait a minute. So uh, what, what's her yeah. sign? Maybe that's, maybe that's telling about why she's... Uh, why I forget. Our subject. I don't know that much about astrology. What? May eleventh zodiac is a Taurus, the sign of the Taurus. Boy. Right, right. I should have yeah. known that. Yeah. Okay, okay. I don't know Taurus. anything about Taurus. Yes. <laughs> uh, they're bullheaded. That's all I know. But my oh, mom was. She, she never like seemed. No, she wasn't like that. Oh, okay. What's your sign? I'm an Aries. Oh, my husband is an Aries. And they're <laughs> I don't fiery. think I'm a typical Aries either. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a I'm, minute. I'm pretty laid back. I don't know. <laughs> uh, man, my husband gets so mad at the dumbest stuff. Do you do you have do, do little things make you mad? That's what I that's what I I have yeah. observed about Aries is like the littlest thing will will just make them um, I don't know. upset. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Although like, I guess some little things like people chewing with their mouth open and, oh boy, you know, that bothers you. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. So, uh, is that a little thing? I think that's a big thing. Ah, see, look, see, now Aries, Aries makes big deals out of little problems. <laughs> um, it is a yeah, so it's a it's a fire sign. Um, fire but, sign, okay. yeah. But I am a Gemini, and that is a water sign. So maybe that's why right. we get along because we like cancel each other. Yeah, out. I, I mean, it does seem like uh, you're the yin to my yang, or whatever. Hey, I'm the yin to your yang. <laughs> I suppose we should probably get back to the story. Yeah, weren't we talking about something? <laughs> Yeah, Kimberly LaGale McCarthy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's a black female born on May 11th, 1961 mm -hmm. in Greenville, Texas. Mm -hmm. At the time of the murder, she was an occupational therapist 
slash home health worker. In the past, she worked as a waitress and a laborer. She was a high school graduate. She was briefly married to the founder of the new Black Panther Party, Aaron Michaels, with whom she had one son. Ooh, cool. Um, Black Panther Party kind of gets a bad rap in the uh, yeah, news media. But, does. you know, like free breakfast and free lunch for kids. Black Panther Party started that. Um, oh, so sweet. they did a lot of And I don't know anything the about the the new Black Panther Party. I don't know anything about that. I don't either. But um, I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, um, at some point during her adult life, she developed an addiction to crack cocaine. As we have said before, the crack epidemic really destroyed the Black community, ruined people's lives, and tore families apart. In 1990, she was convicted of forgery and also had convictions for prostitution and theft of services. Kimberly received a two-year sentence for the forgery, but only served four months before being released. Um, Okay. So I saw, (laughs) I like the timeline is kind of nuts to me on this one because she did some really awful things before she ever went to jail for this robbery or forgery thing. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. (laughs) So the setting is Dallas, Texas in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. All I know about Dallas is that I have connecting flights there. I've never been outside the airport. So listeners, if there is something we should know about Dallas in this time frame that we didn't cover, please email or message us on Facebook or Twitter. That's right. Dallas uh, had a housing boom and burst, and then in the mid to late 80s had a recession. In the late uh, 1980s, shout out to you, Ronnie Reggs, a.k.a. Ronald Reagan, (laughs) a.k.a. not the best president for poor people or POCs. Anyway, he continued Slick Rick, a.k.a. Nixon's war on drugs, which was really a war on poor people and people of color. Dallas was trying to fight the war on drugs, but Dallas also had a civil war. It was very divided by politics, by class, and by race. Demographically, half the residents at the time were Black or Hispanic. Geographically, the city is split at the Trinity River and the interstate highway system. Most whites lived in the north side of the city, and almost all Blacks lived on the Black side of town. So here's my take on how drugs and crime tend to run rampant in poor neighborhoods, especially ones of color. Race and class are not the same issue, so don't try to make it that way. But they do overlap and are related to, you know, lack of education and economic opportunity. Black people started to migrate from East Texas to Dallas in the 40s. Then almost overnight, white people just left in a historical event called White Flight. Neighborhood values declined, and so did the tax revenue. So guess what suffered? Schools and other local resources in the communities that were not Black. When good jobs are not available and crime is the only thing that pays, you do the crime to survive. Um, Also, when fathers and mothers were being locked up or killed, it dismantled family systems. Unstable homes with an absent parent for whatever reason or substance abuse made way for young people missing crucial elements for their well-being and success to turn to, you guessed it, 
gangs. And they were recruited by like these big fish drug dealers um, where they were granted protection, um, love, brotherhood, other fucked up stuff. But it's it's, uh, you know, a community for them. And some kids who join gangs who get out are, and are interviewed later have um, reported, you know, that they would go days without any meals. And when they joined the gang, they didn't have to worry about that kind of thing anymore. And um, unfortunately, there was nobody else in their lives or homes who was able to do that for them. So when we look at a problem like crack or poverty in a neighborhood or a segregated neighborhood or a high crime neighborhood, um, rather than assuming it's because the people, those those people are bad or deplorable or evil, maybe ask, hmm, I wonder how it got to that point. Yeah, and I just wanted to interject that I read an article recently about why poor people make bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the prevailing belief, I think, is that poor people make bad decisions like not eating healthy or smoking or doing drugs or joining gangs mm-hmm. uh, because they're just not good people. Hmm. But the fact is that Being poor actually changes the way that you think. Uh Uh, The stress of poverty interferes with one's ability to make good decisions. Uh Uh, And there was a point in my life when I got divorced and I was raising my kids by myself that Mm -hmm. I was really poor. Uh, It took me a while to figure my way out of it. And at the time, it was really depressing. I was a single mom with two kids working a minimum wage job, and I could barely make ends meet. Mm -hmm. I had $30 a week for groceries. And if something cost, yeah, something cost $25, even like a vacuum cleaner at the Goodwill, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it may as well have been $1,000 because I couldn't afford it. You know, $25 or $1,000 didn't matter. I couldn't afford it. So, you know, I couldn't take my kids to the zoo or the movies or anything that cost more than a few dollars. Mm -hmm. I sometimes took them to McDonald's and got some chicken nuggets to share so that the kids could play in the play place. And it was something we could afford to do. Wow. People who have money uh, can save to buy big items or go on vacations that bring them pleasure. But people in poverty can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about it as being on a diet for a year, mm-hmm. uh, depriving yourself of any small pleasures, like even just a single cookie, mm-hmm. uh, just that you can lose two pounds. Well, <laughs> that seems pointless. <laughs> you know, totally. you're like, fuck that, yeah. you know? Yeah, fuck it. I'm just going to get wasted and go to work yeah, in the morning. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to buy this, this beer or whatever. Uh, they do little things that bring them pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, like eat chicken, chicken nuggets or buy a rock of crack. Hey. Um, I'm lucky <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because <laughs> growing up, I had a good home life. I had good parents, mm-hmm. you know, they had their problems, but, uh, you know, relatively I had pretty good parents and I had a good mm-hmm. education. Yeah. So I was able to figure my way out of it, but there's a lot of people out there who don't ha- have those advantages. Right. And don't have good parents and don't get a good education because they live in a poor neighborhood. And mm-hmm. uh, so they can't right. figure out their way out of it. And right. at the time when I was poor, the thought of being poor forever was so depressing. I can't even uh, tell you how depressing it is. <laughs> oh, it makes man. you feel worthless. And oh when gosh. I put myself back there, I can totally understand why poor, poor people 
purple. <laughs> <laughs> Why poor people might do the things that they do. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's that's it. That's my hot take. <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing that with us, Beth. You get all the hip hop air horns. No, shout out to you for for um being um real and vulnerable. And then um you made it. <laughs> I did, so, I made it. But yeah. I, I feel for people because uh, you know, I, I lived in a bad neighborhood. I had you a lot did? of neighbors. Oh yeah. I I lived in a 650 square foot apartment with two uh, kids. With two kids. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. In, in a bad neighborhood, and you know, I I knew people. You know, I talked to other mothers, and we hung mm-hmm. out, whatever. And mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of them didn't make it out. So, oh man, and it's it's not. You know, I I just have a lot of empathy. That's all. Oh yeah. And I, um, it shows, I, I think it's beautiful to, I mean, to, um, cause your lens is different, right? You, you mm-hmm. have seen it and so you understand, um, that yeah. When are- you haven't been in that situation, you just don't, you're like, Oh, why don't they just, uh, do something about it? And it's like, well, it's yeah. not that easy, you know, not it's at really all. Not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh no, I understand. I've been there. Um, so Dallas, then thank you for that, Beth. Really. I oh, do. thank I'm you. so grateful <laughs> for the story. Dallas then, uh, is not that different than what's happened across the U S since the economic downturn of the late two thousands and the opioid epidemic of today. But the colors of the cast of characters is a little bit different at the time. Hmm. Everyone in Dallas was bothered by and afraid about um, the rise in crime and drugs and guns, and everybody was blaming it on different things. Um, some people would say, "Oh, well, it's it's those people," and then some people would say, "Oh, it's right, the economy." The other people, so, yeah. yeah, it's the other people. So everybody had their own take on why um, Dallas was having so many problems. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do? If someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you, would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download American Vigilante now.
So now we're going to get into the timeline. That's right. I, I jumped the gun earlier. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> we're just having a conversation. <laughs> yeah. In December of 1988, Maggie Harding, 81, was murdered. Maggie Harding was a longtime friend of McCarthy's family. Uh, she even organized McCarthy's wedding and had let McCarthy wow. store excess furniture at her house. Harding was stabbed several times in the face, chest, and Ooh. abdomen, including one wound piercing her heart. She also suffered dramatic injuries to her face, including a broken jaw, crushed cheekbone, and bleeding on the brain. These wounds were consistent with being caused by a meat tenderizer found in the kitchen sink. Harding's purse was missing from her home. Oh my God. Yeah. This is, this is like horrific. Um, Brutal. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. I mean, did she need to do all of those things to the lady? I mean. No, man, she did not. I, <laughs> I mean, well, I'm, I'm sure I, uh, just smacking her would have knocked her down and then she could have just stabbed her and that would have been it. But no, it's kind of yeah, overkill. Just, it is super overkill. That's why I'm I'm like scratching my head. We'll get into more of these crimes. But like she has she was so full of rage. Um, yeah, that's what it's. Yes. So yes, a week I agree. Later. Yeah. A week later, 85 year old Jetty Lucas uh, was found murdered in her home. She was physically disabled. She was a distant co cousin of M McCarthy's mother. I think she was the one who was black. She's the black one. OK. Lucas was stabbed in the face, including wounds piercing her eyes. All right. Oh I'm done God. with the show. <laughs> She <laughs> that's it. Goodbye. <laughs> Stop the recording. Uh she <laughs> suffered blunt force. That could I just that uh, is one of my yeah. nightmares. Something poking my yeah. eye. Oh. She suffered blunt force trauma to her head and neck, including strikes which tore her ears. Okay, that mm. all right. Fractured her skull and caused bleeding to the brain. The injuries were consistent with a claw, hammer, oh and my God. a knife. Wow. My God. Okay. So that was uh, 1988. Mm -hmm. uh, in 1990, so two years later, McCarthy was convicted of forgery, for which she was sentenced to two years, but she only served four months and was on parole until 1991. Also, McCarthy had convictions for theft of service and prostitution. Theft mm -hmm. of service. Do you know what that is? I'm assuming like she would do a job for somebody and take the money. And I don't know. I don't know what theft so of service some is. Kind I, of, I thought... Some kind of thievery. <laughs> yeah. But of services. So... She I'm, I'm thinking somebody. she would... She. I'm thinking she, maybe she... Um, she took money for something, a job, and then she didn't do the job. Yeah, maybe. that's what I thought. Like a like yeah. a contractor not finishing the work. Yeah. Okay. Um, so okay, while I'm in, that. yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> while incarcerated, awaiting trial, McCarthy assaulted, threatened, and took advantage of other inmates, and violated many prison rules. She was released sometime in 1990. So I don't understand why she 
only served four months uh she sounds like she was not a good inmate yeah definitely not exhibiting good behavior no i wonder if maybe they just had like uh too many prisoners i mean it sounds oh, like yeah, uh, maybe it dallas was, cool. was like just overflowing with yeah yeah you're you mm-hmm. i like that i like that suggestion <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> um Let's see. Okay. On July 21st, 1997, McCarthy entered the home of her 71-year-old neighbor, Dorothy Booth, under the pretense of borrowing some sugar. Sounds so nice. I know. Um, I don't know. I <laughs> If somebody asked you to borrow sugar, would like one of your neighbors, would you give it to them? Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It seems it seems weird to me. We used to do that back in the day. I haven't had anybody ask me for any in years, but yeah, it used to be pretty common. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, uh, I'll just shut up and keep reading. Uh, <laughs> Booth, was a, Booth was a retired psychology professor. Uh, Donna Allred, Booth's daughter, reading a statement to reporters, said that her mother was an incredible person who was taken before her time. She stabbed Booth five times and hit her in the face with a candelabra. Now, that reminded me of the Michael Douglas and um, Matt Damon movie, Behind the Candelabra, where he plays Liberace. <laughs> Only this scene is not as fabulous as the movie. She, she cut off Booth's left ring finger to remove oh her diamond ring. McCarthy Yikes. took the victim's ring, purse, and Mercedes Benz. Yeah, then she drove the stolen car to Dallas, pawned the woman's wedding ring that she had removed from the severed finger. Oh, God. Oh, God. She she pawned it for $200 and went to a crack house to buy cocaine. But the dealer, Smiley, didn't have any, so he went around the corner to get some in the stolen car. So he... he he borrowed. <laughs> he borrowed. I don't know why someone. I find this so funny. <laughs> this is, it just this seems is like it ridiculous. should be a movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> should be like a, a Coen Brothers movie or something. <laughs> it should be. Are you listening, Hollywood? <laughs> so he borrowed the stolen car and uh, McCarthy waited at Smiley's dope house. Smiley was stopped by the police but let go and gave McCarthy the keys back when he came back with the drugs. Uh, she used the the victim's credit card four times on the day after the murder at like a liquor store. And uh, she bought liquor and cigarettes. And she also sold Booth's caller ID and cordless phone for dope money. Um, McCarthy was apprehended the next day and invoked her right to counsel. Um, so let's see. Now we're going to get into the investigation. The police immediately began searching for the vehicle, the credit cards and the ring. And McCarthy was arrested one day after the murder. McCarthy waived her right to counsel and gave the police a confession. During her trial, a police officer testified that McCarthy promised to confess to the murder if he would give her crack. <laughs> huh? Sis? What? She uh, she had it bad, man. <laughs> she, yeah. But she believed that the police would give her crack if she confessed? <laughs> that's... What the heck? Anyway, um... Yeah, that's nuts. That is absolutely nuts. Now, McCarthy has said she was innocent. 
Um, and her story is that Kilo and JC, two guys she met a couple months earlier and got drugs from, came to her house and they partied into the wee hours of the morning. And when they ran out of drugs and money, they asked if she knew of anyone she could borrow money from to buy more drugs. Doing drugs! She said <laughs> no, but they began to be verbally abusive and threatening harm if she didn't. She then suggested her neighbor, Dorothy Booth. Uh, the drug dealers told her to call Booth and ask to borrow some sugar as a pretense for going to her house so that they could rob her. She stated that she they went they all went over there together, and when Booth opened the door for her, the drug dealers went inside while she waited outside in Booth's car. She said Kilo mm. and JC killed Booth, and she was outside of the house when they did it. They came outside with Booth's belongings, and they drove away and went to a crack house, as you do. Mm-hmm. As one does, yes, absolutely. As one does, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Then she parted ways with Kilo and JC, but she kept the car and all the stuff. McCarthy admitted driving Booth's car, selling her possessions for drugs, and using her credit cards. But there uh, was no evidence that Kilo and JC actually existed. It's a damn lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I gotta give her credit for at least trying to come yes, up very with creative. Yeah, K- very Kilo creative. and JC. I like that. Kilo and J, brother <laughs> JC and brother Kilo. Um, Ms. McCarthy had been caught using Dorothy Booth's credit cards at the liquor store, and she was in possession of Dorothy Booth's driver's license. But the most crucial piece of evidence came with the forensic tents testing of a 10 inch butcher knife found in McCarthy's home. The knife had been washed, but forensic experts dismantled the plastic handle and recovered a big enough sample to match that of Booth's genetic profile. All right. McCarthy was also linked to the two other murders. Thanks to DNA, evidence tied her to the December 1988 killing of 81-year-old Maggie Harding and 85-year-old Jetty Lucas. McCarthy, who denied any involvement in the attacks, was indicted but was not tried for those murders. Shout out to DNA. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> on ju- now we're going to get into her trial. So on July twenty first, nineteen ninety seven, a Texas jury convicted McCarthy of capital murder for the death of Dorothy Booth. And in December nineteen ninety eight, she was sentenced to death. She appealed because she wrote a confession when she had invoked her right to counsel and the prosecutor used her statement to paint her in a very bad light as an unrepentant liar, cruel, greedy. Um, She was greedy for, um, you know, having a motive to kill an elderly neighbor. Yeah, well, I think she was all those things. (laughs) Yeah, I think so too. (laughs) That's, you know. It seems accurate to me. (laughs) seems accurate, yeah. In 2001, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals reversed her capital murder conviction. She had a second oh. trial because the appellate court, appellate, app, apple, appellate, appellate, appellate. Thank you. <laughs> the appellate court ruled that her confession was illegally obtained. 
Only one juror at her retrial was black. In November 2002, she was resentenced. Hey, Beth, have you ever had jury duty? I've been called for jury duty and then sat around and then told to go home. And that's about the extent of it. Oh, I would love to serve on a jury. <laughs> um, I, I literally am dying to do it. Um, so there is uh, the reason why I bring this, this up is because they noted that only one juror was black. And there is a strategy that is de- deployed in these cases um, to keep um, juries as wide as possible. And um, I don't know, that was an accident. How do you how do you avoid jury duty? Be a black woman. Uh, there's a case called <laughs> Batson v. Kentucky um, from 1986, and it was a case in which the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a prosecutor's use of a preemptory challenge in a criminal case um, the that's uh, the dis- that's when they dismissed jurors without stating a valid cause right. for doing so. The court um, said that they may not be used to exclude jurors based solely on their race. Um, Jurors that are not all white tend to side with the defendant, um, which uh, prosecutors don't like. And um, prosecutors have. Yeah, imagine that. They've gotten creative (laughs) using their preemptive strike, saying things like, oh, we have to strike that juror because he grew up in the same neighborhood as the defendant or. Uh, they've, they've got to go because, um, they're the same age as the defendant bullshit, stuff like that. So, um, but, uh, the white juror, nobody, they never, they, they are not described in such fashion when, when the right, prosecutors they can be the same age and it doesn't strikes. matter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's how, um, the Supreme court, they used that evidence and found out that what they were doing was bullshit. So, um, so anyway. um, how many strikes do they get? In every jurisdiction, I think it is different. Okay. Um, I don't know in Texas, but like I go, I go to a lot of trials here in Arizona and um, we, I, I should know the number, but I think it's different in every jurisdiction. There is a limit. Right. Right. They don't get an unlimited amount and each side gets the same. Um, and sometimes um, they'll agree on, on striking this, this, the, you know, the same same jurors in the pool. Right. But I really don't know what the um, limit is in okay. Texas uh, or anywhere yeah, else. I was just, <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering. Uh, I, I had heard that there was a limit, but I didn't really know for sure. There is. Just don't know what it is. <laughs> OK. Um, so, um, where are they now? <laughs> D-E-A-D, dead. Um, <laughs> she said. On June 26, 2013, in Huntsville, Texas, McCarthy was executed by lethal injection. She was the 500th inmate to be executed in Texas since it resumed carrying out capital punishment in 1982. McCarthy was 52 mm. at the time. Prior to the execution, uh, she was given a new white prison uniform and offered Ooh. as her last meal the same food other prisoners ate at dinner. Texas does not offer a special last meal. I know we were talking about Aww. this on another episode, so I thought I'd add that in. Yeah, I'm glad you did. <laughs> she had for her last meal pepper steak, mashed potatoes with gravy, mixed vegetables, and white cake with chocolate 
icing, which doesn't sound too bad for a last meal. That doesn't sound bad at all because no. you said you would like a steak for I would your like last a steak, meal. Yeah. So maybe not yeah. pepper steak, but uh, yeah, a steak. <laughs> Um, is pepper, does that just mean there's pe- like pepper on it? Um, you know, I'm thinking pepper steak is uh, like thinner, um, oh. than a regular steak, like maybe pan fried with peppers. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm looking either. it up right now. I, um, <laughs> oh yeah, please tell us. Pepper steak. I'm not a steak gal. Oh yeah. It's, it's like a stir fry, uh, cut up like, oh slices of steak with uh peppers okay 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 cool go ahead thank you so so much you're welcome um so you're not a a steak person um no i think it's gross (laughs) really um yeah i don't i don't i'm not a, a beef fan we never ate beef when i was growing up and so um like my husband is like you know, his, his family like loves mm-hmm. steak. And so when they come into town, they like fill our fridge with all this steak fucking potatoes, beef. steak and potatoes. Yeah. You know. And so I'm like eating it, but trying to like eat it fast Aww. just to not be rude. Cause when my, when my mother-in-law comes, she like cooks for us. Right. But oh, she, nice. she's always got to make a steak Yeah, and it's bloody. <laughs> I just, uh, it's just not my thing, but I do eat it to be polite. That so. is very nice of you. Where are we? Okay, so in her final statement, McCarthy did not mention her status as the 500th inmate to be executed or acknowledge Booth or her family, which were present at the execution. She stated, this is not a loss. This is a win. You know where I'm going. I'm going home to be with Jesus. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Keep the faith. I love, she didn't say that part. I love you all. And as the drug started to take effect, McCarthy said, God is great. Before closing her eyes, she took hard, raspy, loud breaths for several seconds before becoming quiet. Then uh, her chest moved up and down for another minute before she stopped breathing. McCarthy's attorney at the time of her death was Mari Levin, and he said her entire case was plagued with shameful errors of racial bias during jury selection and ineffective assistance of counsel. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. So, what made her snap? 
Well, I don't know exactly. I tried to find out mm. more about her early life or possible mental issues or a personality disorder or something, but I kept hitting mm -hmm. dead ends. Most of the articles that I read were about the fact that she was the 500th execution in Texas. That's pretty much as far as they went. I mean, obviously yeah. she wanted money for crack, but there are other ways to get money. Like, I don't know, uh, just robbing the ladies while they were sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she didn't have to murder yeah. them. Uh, the murderers were also very no, up didn't. close and personal uh, and mm -hmm. probably overkill, like we were talking about earlier. So uh, yeah. I think she probably had some underlying anger issues. It seemed like she had mm -hmm. a career going as an occupational therapist working in a nursing home, but it somehow mm -hmm. went all went off the rails. I would love to see a psychological profile. I would too. I would too. And I wonder, I mean, if she went to trial, I'm assuming one would have been done, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I don't know why we don't have that information, but I, yeah, I have no idea why she, she snapped. Seems to me like she had anger issues. I wish uh, the articles didn't spend so much time talking about how she was the 500th execution. Yeah, we get it. Okay, what was wrong with her? We know, <laughs> Texas. Can we get to the rest of the story? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe it was mental illness or uh, maybe she was just a homicidal maniac. I'm not yeah. sure if that term is... Um, uh, politically I don't, I don't but think you know it really I mean. matters. <laughs> if somebody's a homicidal maniac, then, you know, do we have to be politically correct? <laughs> I guess we do not. <laughs> so, Wendy, what are your takeaways? Um, It is crazy to me that she committed such horrific murders of two people and almost got away with it. But then here comes DNA to save the day. <laughs> so yay for DNA. But um, what I also found wild is that uh, how long murders would go unsolved back in the day. Mm -hmm. Like nowadays, if there's a killer on the loose, we they get caught right away with eyewitnesses, DNA, CCTV footage, social media activity, and cell phone pings. Um, so as uh, we have evolved and technology has gotten better, it appears that the number of serial killers has gone down too. Yep. So my takeaway is uh, crack is a hell of a drug. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, well, uh, that's it for the story. Um, let us know what you thought. Um, next up, how not to get murdered. If you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> so this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Yes. So I suppose as it relates to this case, uh, it was a different time. So we're, you know, it was in the 80s and 90s and we're in uh, People almost a borrowed 20 sugar. 20. Um, 
people borrowed sugar, which I didn't know was a thing. I thought it was a joke. Um, so as it relates to this case, uh, I would say get to know your neighbors and perhaps be leery of people with a known history of substance abuse who are not trying to get help. Um, it sounds like McCarthy was in the throes of addiction and making really poor decisions. Uh, it also sounds like her victims were older, vulnerable, trusting women. Um, I don't know how we can totally avoid evil, but in my neighborhood, if my neighbor asked me for something, we both come out of our houses. So none of us has a chance to walk into the house and yeah, get each other. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so, and we meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah, so. good idea. And I don't have anything related to the episode. But uh, my daughter recently asked me about some things that she read online, um, and she wanted me to look into them. So one of them was about a panic button feature on iPhones. She said she'd been reading a lot of posts on Facebook about it, and she wanted to know if it was true. It turns out that iPhones do have a panic button feature, and so do Apple Watches. That's awesome. Yeah. It's called the SOS feature. Uh, Depending on your model, there are different ways to activate it. For the iPhone 7 and older, you press the side button five times. It will begin a countdown, which you can Mm -hmm. stop if you call it accidentally. Uh, For the iPhone 8, you have to press the side button and the volume button uh, at the same time and hold them down until the countdown Mm -hmm. begins. And to me, that seems a little harder to okay. do if you're in a situation where you want to call emergency services stealthily, like if, if you're being mugged or something. But you can change the settings. Yeah. So it will trigger it the old way with five presses to the side button. And uh, we'll put a link uh, with detailed information in the show notes so uh, that you can uh, read awesome. all about it. And some Android models also have panic button features, but they're all different. So I would suggest Googling your model and SOS feature to get information about yours. Uh, The other thing that my daughter had read online uh, and asked me about was a viral story about how if you're being robbed at an ATM and forced to put in your pin to get money out to give to the robber, if you put in your pin in reverse... It will give you the money, but also alert police. This one turned out to Mm -hmm. not be true. Aw, man. I know. It's true that someone came up with the idea, and it was patented by the guy who came up with it in 1998, and it was named the Safety Pin System, but it's never been implemented. The reasoning being that if you're being robbed... The stress of the situation would make it difficult for you to remember your PIN number backwards and could actually put you in more danger Mm -hmm. as fumbling around could alert the robber to what you're trying to do. Uh, The other being that in a situation like that, the police would probably not even be able to get there quickly enough to make a difference. So anyway, that one's Hmm. been debunked. It is not true. Damn it. And if you have have any other questions about uh, stuff that you read online, uh, uh, send us a message. Hit us up. Yeah, we'd love to know your suggestions 
or um, theories on um, staying safe Mm -hmm. out there. Let's get into our listener letters. We did get some love, some constructive love um, on an iTunes review um, by somebody named Moray4. And the review is titled, Just Getting Started. Moray says, I love the concept for this podcast. It's early on, so it's a little rough around the edges, amen, but the hosts are entertaining and fun. I can't wait to hear what this show sounds like in four years to come. And to that I say, thanks, Moray, for we are admittedly new to this, and our goal is to continue to deliver fire-ass content for you (laughs) and get better and better at it all the time. So thanks for your kind words and your candor. We see you, boo. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, hey, Beth, where can they? Where can the people find us? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. Also, links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page, uh, which is mm-hmm. patron.podbean.com forward slash Fruit Loops pod. And we'll put all this in our footnotes. That's right. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting and there's no minimum and no commitment and even a dollar would help so yeah we would appreciate it um we would yeah we pay monthly for hosting for our podcast and our website so we're not making any money at this (laughs) no (laughs) this is a labor of love by the way i think i owe you Uh, yes it is a labor of love if you love us labor with us yes Um, so anyway um you'd appreciate it that's all yeah that is it for the show today thank you for listening this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive guys it's crazy out there I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. 
Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2, a new podcast from Crowd Network. 